Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website, www.millervillechurch.org, and you can make your online donation anytime. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Good morning. My name is Beth, and we've been doing a series called Our Covenant Keeping God. And so uh, we're taking some time over the man Abraham because he's so significant in what covenant's all about. It's the story of Abraham, the more complete story, the big story, and it takes a while to, uh, to work our way through it, that really gives us the foundation of what covenant is and what God intended by covenant and how covenant is fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we do come to you and we thank you so much for being able to come together and to join our voices in praise and worship to you. And um, we just want to thank you for those who lead us and who uh, teach us how to sing and how to use um, each of our own instruments to give you praise. And Lord, we pray that that praise might be um, the place where you inhabit because you have said that you inhabit the praises of your people. And we pray that our praise to you might be in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we would just ask that as we um, come together and as we look into your word, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I wanted to open with uh, Hebrews 11. And um, just like we're working our way through uh, different um, things of covenant, we started in Genesis looking at the first covenant of creation and then the covenant with Noah and um, now we're looking at Abraham and so we're working our way verse by verse through Hebrews 11 because those are all mentioned in Hebrews 11. So verse 1 of Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So if you're wondering what faith is, there's the definition right there. It's the assurance, the, the solid belief of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. And we've looked at um, men such as Abel and Noah, um, Enoch. Then if you go down to verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going which I don't know that many of us have had that opportunity where we just start going and we have no idea where God is leading at all. And uh, Abraham is our example. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So um, let's turn back then to Genesis chapter 12. And it's here that we learn that he was called, and we looked at this the last time, 
when we looked at it, we got up to verse 3 of chapter 12, when Abram, his, his name hasn't been changed yet, so it's Abram at this point, and uh, Abram is called out of the land of Ur. And the land of Ur is the land of the Chaldeans, which is what we would know today as, um, well, if you're biblical, the Babylonians, and if you're thinking modern day, it would be sort of in the area of Iraq. And so uh, he's called out of that area down by the Euphrates River, and um, Acts tells us that that's where he received the call. So when you're reading in Genesis chapter 11, it almost sounds like it's his father who made the decisions, but it's Abram who was called by God even when he was in Ur. And um, he made his way up the Euphrates River, not knowing where God was taking him, but God had said, I will take you to a land that you do not know. And so he gets up to um, just north of what we know today as Israel, he gets up to an area called Haran, or Padam Haran, and that area is um, uh, up in Syria, uh, Lebanon area. And so he's up there, and that's where he stops. He doesn't go down into the promised land yet. And there he, um, they have those, have you ever seen those sort of pointy huts in old pictures? That's what the huts were like there. And that's what he lived in for the days while his father was still alive. And when Terah died, his father died, it was sort of like a, a, a watershed event in a way for Abram because God then calls him again to leave there and to go down to the land that he promised. So up there was not the land that God had promised. He still hadn't made it there. And God had told him, I want you to leave your country, so I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you I want you to leave your family and your city and your culture. I want you to leave your father's household. So all the security that he had, God said, I want you to leave that all behind, and I want you to go to a place where I will show you. So God didn't tell him where he was going. He said, I'll show. And that'll happen as you make your way there. So it's not going to happen right away. And so, um, so Abram does do this, and we see that one of the things I, I think that's important for us to realize is that we don't just have this instant, amazing, fantastic faith where we just are solid and we never make mistakes. It doesn't work that way. It's a growing faith. And so we start off with God calling us, and then it's a whole lifetime of that faith growing. And all the experiences that we go through are purpose towards growing faith and sometimes we feel like you know that we went off on another path and other times we go forward and we um, are not at all sure that we have that kind of faith like Abram has but God assures us that he is growing our faith and he takes us through all these diff different circumstances to show us that so um, the lessons for life that we have are building that trust in God, teaching us about God. So um, he says to Abram, after you know Abram's made his way down, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you, and here are the promises, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Because um, Lot's father, his name was Haran, um, so that's why I kind of think that that area was called Haran, maybe where they settled originally. Um, but Lot's father's dead, and so Lot has been kind of adopted by Abram. He's come into Abram's household, and Abram, his uncle, uh, takes care of him. And so wherever Abram goes, he takes Lot with him, and of course his wife Sarai, and they don't have any children. So um, they're going to go forth, and everybody else is left behind. And we learn later that there's other family that's left up there in Haran. And so Abram leaves them. He's 75 years old when he leaves Haran. And so um, it's going to be a while before he sees some of these promises happening in his life. And so um, he's going to have some lessons that he has to learn about God first. And in our culture, when something is promised to us, we expect to have it for sure within 24 hours. Like that's a long wait. And so for us to wait 25 years is like, it's like that can't happen. That's not really a promise then. That's just sort of for sure maybe it will happen. And so Abram, he doesn't know anything except this is what God has promised him. And it's not looking good. He's 75 years old. Sarai, his wife, is 65. She is not looking like she's going to be able to have children because they've probably been married for a while now. But he's got Lot, and he's got, by this time, um, it says that he's accumulated a lot of possessions, and there's a lot of people in his household now. So he's hired a lot of people that now work for him and are really considered to be part of his household. And so he's taking care of them, and wherever he goes, they're going to go with him. And we learn later that he's got 350 fighting men that are in his household. So it's not like when we say household, we think, well, 12 kids, that is a lot. Well, this is nothing compared to what Abram's going to be taking care of. And so it, they're all looking to Abram to kind of be their, their chief and their head. And Abram's got a large household. So he passes through, um, he goes down into the land and says to the land of Canaan, thus they came to the land of Canaan. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago that we learned that the land of Canaan is really from the descendants of Ham, who have it in for the descendants of Shem. And Abram, that's where we get the word Semitic from, is from the descendants of Shem. And so all those that are from sort of that Middle East area were f that were from Abram's line and um, you know th the others that were associated with him were all uh, Sh Shemites or, or Semites. And um, there's this clash with the descendants of Ham. So the Canaanites, the Hivites, the um, Hittites, the, the Hittites were the strong force that were north of them, and later a lot of the other ites that we read about, they're all descendants of Ham, or um, you know his grandson Canaan. So um, when it says that he's going into the land of Canaan, we think of that as a geographical area, but really what it's telling us, he's going into a land where people are going to really hate him, where he's not welcome, and um, God is going to take him into this land, and this is going to be the land that he is going to possess. And so you and I, if that had happened to us, would think, well, like, really? This is a weird place to take us to. Like, why not take us to sort of, 
you know, unpopulated areas where nobody is and, you know, we'll settle that. So when we read about Abram, it seems like, well, you know, he's decided to stay here, that he can just stay there. Well, all those people groups are nomadic. They're all looking for grazing land or, you know, whatever it is that they do, and they all move around. And Abram's like that. So he also is nomadic and lives in a tent. They don't build um, permanent structures because they're moving all the time. And so Abram is like that along with all the Canaanites. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. Now Shechem is very important. Everywhere where Abram goes ends up being super important. You hear about it repeatedly through the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, even to the places where Jesus goes. So, and it's because these are the places that God takes Abram to. So the first place that he goes to is the area of Shechem. And Shechem, um, it says that he went as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moray. And it turns out that um, later on down the road, Shechem is going to be the place that Moses tells Joshua, when you go into the land, I want you to go to um, the area of Shechem, to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And that's where the law of the Lord was repeated by Joshua, where the blessings and the cursings and the blessings and the cursings all the way through in the book of Deuteronomy. It's going to happen in Shechem. And so Moses, or so Abram goes to Shechem, and it repeats it. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. So we're going to see, you know, 400 years later in a bit, when Joshua goes there, that he's going to have to clear these Canaanites out. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. That's a huge promise. And we know because we have the benefit of reading all the scripture, it's not going to happen for over 400 years. Do you know that God has made you promises that may take that long before they're fulfilled? I'll give you an example. Uh, James Taylor. I don't know if you've ever heard of James Taylor. Yeah, I'm not thinking of the singer. (laughs) This is the James Taylor that lived in the 1700s, of which none of us know who he is. And uh, he lived in the 1700s. And uh, he um, was a young man when he was under the ministry of Charles Wesley in uh, England. And he came to faith Uh, not by, it was actually his wedding day, and it was, um, in those days, like, you know how we sort of take that whole month off before the wedding to get ready for the wedding, and uh, for sure not that week, and for definite sure not that day are you working. Well, that's not how it was back then. You would go to work, and then you would take an hour off for lunch and go get married and then come back to work. And so um, it was on his wedding day, that he had heard Charles Wesley, you know, right in that week before, and he's thinking about this, and he's and he and Wesley had just preached on, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which is something that Joshua said, and so uh, he's thinking about that, and he's thinking, well, it's my wedding day today, and he's and he realized that, you know, he really didn't serve the Lord. And so he falls down on his knees and he asks God that now on his wedding day that his household would be one that would serve the Lord. And so um, it was like that's how they started their marriage and that's how it stayed. Well, it took several generations, but eventually one born in his household, generations later, is Hudson Taylor. 
And Hudson Taylor, of course, is the one who went to China and took the gospel to China, had such an impact that even today, even after communist China, we know that the church has expanded exponentially because of that ministry of Hudson Taylor, who had a great-great-grandfather named James Taylor. And so maybe it's hundreds of years before some of these promises will be fulfilled in our families. But God is faithful. Even though we're dead, God is still faithful. And so we see that um, with, with Abram. So um, he, he, then it says, he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so this altar that he built... Um, we're going to see this three times that he builds an altar in, in the account that we're reading today. And so they're all significant. So the first altar that he builds is in Shechem. And this is where they're going to come back 400 years from then and are going to um, read the law and commit to it as a, as a nation. Then he proceeded from there. He's going south now. From there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And Ai is, is an important city in the account with um, Joshua. It's the second city where they were completely defeated and decimated because of what happened at Jericho. And so um, he's camped now between Bethel and Ai, and there again he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And that's where we see him call it, that's the first time we see that written, that he calls upon the name of the Lord. We read that before with Enoch, that Enoch called upon the name of the Lord. In the days of Seth, they learned to call upon the name of the Lord, and that Enoch did as well. And so um, it, it's an indicator of one who's of the family of faith. And so we see this faith of, of Abram, just a baby faith, really, leaving Ur, which is a significant thing, but he's, he really doesn't know God very well yet, except that he's heard from God out of this idolatrous area and, and idolatrous family. He follows God, and now he's building altars. And I think it's really significant that Abram lives in tents, but he builds altars. And how many of us build our house and we just sort of are in and out of a tent-like structure for our worship. In other words, it's not stable. It's not a definite, like, plant your feet here in faith. And I think that the fact that Abram, our example of faith, he's one where it wasn't really about his household, about his stuff. It was about the Lord. That's what he built. And so he built these altars for the Lord, and they stayed like, you know, into Jesus' day, we still hear about some of the things that were built back then of altars to the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, so he's going further south. So think of this. When he goes to Shechem, he builds an altar. And when he goes to Bethel, he builds an altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. Now he moves down into the Negev, which is in the very south, as far south as the Promised Land goes. And it's interesting because it says that he went to the Negev. It doesn't say anything about him building an altar there, which is perplexing and maybe explains what happens next. Because there was a famine in the land. 
and it was a severe famine. Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Sometimes it's what's not written in scripture that's significant because we don't see him build an altar and we don't see him consulting the Lord about where he's going. It's like he comes up with this great idea. It's a very bad famine here. I'll go down to Egypt. And Egypt is not the promised land. God said, I will take you to the promised land. It's up to Abram. He comes up with this great idea that he needs to go to Egypt. And what happens on his way to Egypt? Well, he gets down there and he realizes, maybe it's, you know how it is after you've been married for a while, you don't notice your spouse. And all of a sudden he's looking at Sarai and he goes, wow, you really are beautiful. This actually may not be such a great idea to be here in Egypt because they'll probably kill me in order to get you and marry you because you're so beautiful. I mean, she is 65, but she's an amazing 65. (laughs) And so this amazing 65-year-old woman, which I think we're all thinking, really? But apparently the Pharaoh thought, really? And um, it really was an an issue when they got there because when they got there, he had said to Sarai, and it's sort of a half-truth, he said, tell him you're my sister, which... She was his half-sister because they did things differently back then, but we won't get into that. And um, he says, tell them you're my sister, not my wife, because if you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me, and then, you know, I don't want to die. He's not at all worried about Sarai, is he? (laughs) Like, great, thanks, Abram. I'll take it on. You know, actually, right now, I don't care if they kill you. (laughs) So he goes down there, and, and sure enough, Word spreads, and all the men are, whoa, look at this beautiful Shemite that just came down here. Like, she's gorgeous, and Pharaoh's looking. So let's tell Pharaoh. So, Abram, this is your sister, right? Yep, that's my sister. Okay, we're going to tell Pharaoh about her. So they go off, and they tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, yeah, bring her here. We'll have a look. And uh, he sees her, and he goes, yeah, we're in. So he takes uh, Sarai to be his wife, And um, he says to Abram, the brother, well, you know what? I think she's beautiful, and I would like our families to get along, and so I'm going to pay you a very generous dowry. And he gives um, Abram all these sheep and goats and cattle and all kinds of wealth and clothing and garments. And, oh, he's like, wow, Abram's like rich now. And um, who has blessed Abram? Pharaoh. And it's going to be a problem down the road. So now he's got all this stuff, and he's thinking, <laughs> I am smart. Like, this is great. Sarai is, well, I mean, I guess she's with Pharaoh, but I got all this stuff, and all this stuff is good. Well, leave it to Abram. Nothing is going to change. But God, he intervenes. And he says to Pharaoh, Somehow, I don't know, in a dream or, or what, but Pharaoh wakes up, and this is before he's, you know, really taken Sarai to be his wife, if you get what I mean. Um, he he kind of hears from the Lord that Sarai is not just the sister, but the wife of Abram. And now the Egyptians, as much as we say about them, they do honor family, and they were... Um, 
uh, what do you call it when you're monogamous, that's the word. They were monogamous, if you know what that means, and not polygamous, if you know what that means. So, like, let's have one and not a whole bunch. And so um, the fact that he took Sarai is pretty significant because he was intending on her being, like, his wife, wife. And God says, no, she belongs to another man. She belongs to Abram. Oh, but you know how he found out? Do you know what was happening in his household? God has left Abram alone, and instead the plague came upon Pharaoh. It seems to me Abram should get a little bit of a plague too. However, the Lord thought otherwise because God's merciful. Not me, but God is very merciful. And so he doesn't um, put the plague on Abram because I don't know what Abram would have done. He's, this, is where, this is not a shining story of Abram, this part. He's not the greatest guy in this story but pharaoh with this plague and whatever it is the plague was maybe um, there's all kinds of speculation what that plague was but the point is it made him listen and he found out from the lord somehow that sarai was married to abram and so he, he goes to abram he says what is this you've done to me like what are you thinking man I wouldn't have taken her if I had known she was your wife. And now you've caused all this grief. So take all this stuff and get out. And get out of Egypt. And he sends Abram packing out of Egypt. So Abram, who came into Egypt with fear and trepidation about his life, but wanting food thinking, well, this is a great idea, never consulting God, leaving the promised land in order to find food, instead of going to God and saying, Lord, I need your provision, he comes up with his own idea. Think about this. When we are in want, where do we go? Do we come up with all our great ideas of how we're going to solve the problem? Or do we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm in need. Please help me. I need finances. I need to feed my children. We need this. We need that. And the Lord will provide. He says that he will provide. That's one of his names, Jehovah Jireh. And so he says that he will provide. But Abram didn't do that. And instead he went to Egypt. And where he went in thinking, you know, I'll take care of things, he comes out like this in shame. And he leaves Egypt because the soldiers took him right to the border to get rid of him. Like, we want you out. Like, we're going to follow you until you get out. Not to protect him, but to kick him out and make sure he goes. And so he leaves in shame from Egypt. But he still has all this stuff. And um, now he's back. And so he goes up to the Negev, which is the south part. And... um, We're in chapter 13 now. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. He and his wife and all that belonged to him, which is a lot, with Lot. Isn't that great? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So Lot is with him still. So think about this. It's not just Abram and Sarai that went down, but Lot watched Abram. And Lot learned some very awful lessons from Abram. That was the influence that he had on Lot. We think Lot was so terrible because of his choices, and yes, Lot made some pretty bad choices as well, 
but where did he learn those? But in the household of Abram. And it's really a reminder to us that we are teaching others how to live based on how well we do this walk of faith. And when we have times where we depend on ourselves instead of on the Lord, there are little eyes that are watching us and also friends who are watching as well. So we do have impact on other people. And so um, Lot is with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now God had promised that he would bless Abram. But this isn't God's way to bless Abraham yet. Like that time was to come. God was teaching Abram these lessons. Abram was in a place of famine where he was to call upon the name of the Lord and instead he went down to Egypt. And Pharaoh made Abram rich at this point. And so Abram has a huge lesson to learn about that one. And so he's rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel. So he goes back to Bethel where he had that last altar that he built to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram, what did he do now? He went back to calling on the name of the Lord. And so he's learned a, a pretty huge lesson. And so he goes back to the Lord and calls on him. Now the problems begin in the promised land. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. This, I don't think, would have happened had Abram been obedient to the Lord that whole time and not gone down into Egypt. They would have built up their flocks at an appropriate rate and been able to sustain them. But because they came back with all this stuff, now all of a sudden the land can't sustain them. And that isn't the picture of the promised land that God gave to Abram. And so now they've got all this stuff and the land won't sustain them while they're living together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Isn't that interesting? Instead of them being blessed together, instead of Lot being blessed under Abram's tutelage and under Abram's um, mentorship, instead there's strife between all of these people that are in their two households. And um, you can imagine there's probably a lot of difficulty between Abram and Lot. And so um, I find it very interesting that the next thing the scriptures say is now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling there in the land. We've heard that already several times, and yet it's stressed again. Why? I think because Abram and Lot are kind of just like the Canaanites are. They're not dwelling in the provision of God. They're doing it man's way. They're doing it the world's way. And that actually is the way of Canaan. And so the strife is um, going to get to them. And it's caused not by their poverty, but by their riches. We think, if I only had the money, everything would be good. And we see that is not true. That is not true. Money does not solve our problems. It may solve 
some worldly problems that we have today, but it doesn't solve the real issues that are happening in our lives. And so, and in fact, it can become a trap. Then Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. I love this. Abram, I, I think he's just being so humble here. Because Lot, remember, is his nephew. It's not like they're on an equal footing here. And now Abram is re really raising Lot up to be on equal footing. He's calling him his brother. And he's saying, you know, let's not have strife. And it's Abram who makes this move because what has he done? He's returned to the altar. He has called on the name of the Lord and he's making things right now. And so, um, and I think that we see the, the mercy and the blessing of God as Abram um, focuses on the Lord. And so um, he, he says it in such a kind way, please let there be no strife between you and me. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. And if to the right, then I'll go to the left. And this is where um, I think there's a huge lesson of where we focus our eyes. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes to the Lord? No. He lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Zoar is right at the southern tip of the Dead Sea, and that's where Sodom and Gomorrah is, and there's, you know, sort of five cities down there that are crazy, wild, sinful, evil. And Lot looks, now the, it's a wicked area, but it's also very fertile, and there's lots of um, productivity, and that's what Lot sees. That's what Lot sees. He sees, wow, green valleys, well watered. All my li livestock won't have any problems eating here. And even though the evil was known, that's what Lot saw, was stuff. And that's why treasures can really corrupt us. And that's why Jesus said, wherever your heart is, that's, that's your treasure. And where our treasure is will reflect what we are like toward the Lord. And so Lot, um, that's where he looked when he saw the valley of the Jordan. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Huge mistake on Lot's part. Huge mistake on Lot's part. Because Abram is the one who's being blessed. And to stay in the household of blessing really would have been better for Lot. But instead, he looks, he sees, and he takes, and he leaves. And Abram gave him the choice of whatever he wanted because the land was promised to Abram. And so Abram um, settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, so the Jordan Valley, and moved his tents where to? Sodom. And we all know what's coming to Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. So that word exceedingly is like to an extreme. And sinners against the Lord. So Lot wasn't thinking on spiritual plane at all. He was only thinking about his livestock and his wealth. And off he goes 
and he dwells in this most wicked place to bring the good news, not at all, but to get what he can get. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes, he says to Abram. And Abram's going to look in a completely different place than when Lot lifted up his eyes. Now lift up your eyes, Abram, and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. So in other words, num- number, number, what else does that say? Numberless? That sounds weird. Number, whatever, you get it. <laughs> Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. And so this promise here, lift up your eyes, look northward and southward and eastward and westward. He says to Abram, and I think that that would have included all that land where Lot just settled. And God said, I will give it to you. Now, it's way more than physical land because the Lord says the same things to us. Look about you. Look behind you, before you, under you, all around you. All this I have given to you. And I think when we look backward, look at your past. Are there things in your past that are defining who you are? Or does the Lord define who you are? Are there things in your past that have held you down, that have kept you from being what God has called you to be? Our identity is not in things that happened to us in the past. Our identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. Look forward to the future. Some of us are looking at the future saying, ugh, I don't know what it holds. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to have enough finances to see me to wherever the end of my life will be. I don't know how I will have the strength or the health or go through some of the things that are even right before me. I don't know how I'm going to do that future. How will I face it? And we face it with fear. And the Lord says, no, look at your future. Look at your past. I've taken care of that. Look at your future. I'm taking care of that. And he says, what about the present? What about the situation that you're in today? Are you in a difficult spot and you don't know how you're going to get out? Are things not going very well in a relationship that you really want to go well, that you care about, maybe a spouse, maybe a child? Maybe somebody in your life that you seem to have to keep dealing with and it's not going very well. There's strife. There's difficulties. Maybe it's not your difficulty. Maybe it's somebody really close to you who's going through a difficulty and you can't solve their problem. And it's getting you down. And you're worried. And you're fretting. And you're not sleeping. You're finding yourself waking up and this is just rolling around in your head. But God is the God of the present as well. And so whether we look in the past and we've got hang-ups or the future and we've got fears or the present and we have perplexities, God says, look up. Look up. Look to the north. Look to the Lord God 
whose throne is in the north, it tells us, and to rest in him. And so Abram, just like when he calls on the name of the Lord, that's exactly what he's doing. He's giving the Lord their current situation, and he's trusting God. Lord, I have this huge problem with Lot. These livestock herdsmen are not getting along. What are we going to do? And Lot and I are having problems because of it. And the Lord says, let Lot take whatever, and you trust me. And so Abram calls on the name of the Lord. And um, it says that, um, where was I? Then Abram, I love this last verse. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So Hebron is an incredibly important place. And in my mind, it's the place of rest. And in this place of rest, um, we read about Hebron in a number of different situations, but the one that I really like is in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, where um, this is just after Saul and Jonathan have died, and now David is going to be made king. And he says to the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? Remember, he's been hiding out in caves and running from Saul, and Saul just fought with the Philistines, and he was killed. And, you know, all these men are behind David, So it's, and God had already promised David that he would be made king. So it would seem now's the time that he's going to be made king. And he says to the Lord, because the whole land is in an uproar, the nation's not settled. They're having all these struggles between Saul's men and David's men, and David says to the Lord, where shall I go? What should I do? And the Lord said, he says, you know, should I go and fight over here? Or should I go and fight over there? Or should I go over here and settle this problem over here? And the Lord says, no, go to Hebron. And so David went to Hebron, and it says there he dwelt. There he found his dwelling place. And there he worshipped the Lord. And that's where David actually built um, his royal palace was in Hebron, the place of rest. And it's a place where we settle. So our question is, you know, what should I do? Where should I go? I have all these problems. How am I going to fix them? And the Lord says to us, come to this place of rest in who Jesus Christ is. And he says, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. And it's really, whenever we see rest in Scripture, we should be thinking the Lord Jesus Christ because he is our rest, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4. He is our place of rest. And so Abram goes to Hebron and he builds an altar to the Lord. Where are your altars? Are your altars, we all have them. We are people of worship. We will worship something. Are your altars... In your bank account? Are your altars maybe in your housing where you live? Are your altars in your friendships? Or maybe your altars in your own family where you're completely dependent on others for your emotional stability, for your sense of well-being, for your identity? The Lord says none of these things. He says unless you leave father and mother behind, Unless you follow me wholeheartedly, you will not have rest. And so he says, come to me. He's not saying that everything else is bad, 
But if that's where our altar is, it's misplaced. And he says, come to me and have your place of rest in me and trust me and learn from these life lessons just like Abram did. Learn from these life lessons. Maybe you've gone to Egypt and now you've come back. Maybe you're still struggling to get out of Egypt and you haven't made it yet. And the Lord says, you know, I'm not after you with a whip and telling you what's the matter with you, you bad person. That isn't the Lord. He beckons us to come back into the land of blessing, into the land that he has for us, which is our place of rest in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so um, we're going to carry on and learn more about what happened to Lot in that um, wicked place of Sodom and what Abram's going to do about it and the result of how that's going to grow Abram's faith hugely even more. And that's what God does for us, is as we turn our hearts to him, as we build our altar before him, as we praise him alone, that he will give us not only that place of rest, but also a place of huge blessing where we know that we are in the center of our Father's will and that we are going forward in the ways that he has chosen for us and that we not only will be blessed, but more importantly, like Abram, we will be a blessing for others. Like James Taylor was a blessing for all of China, even though he never knew it. He never knew it because it was his great-great-grandson that went. But God used that man who on his wedding day came to faith and how it impacted all his family. And you know what? The Lord does that for all of us. When we turn to him and we trust him, it's not just about us. We become a blessing for so many others that will follow because of faithfulness that they saw in you. I just want to read to um, you Psalm 27, and then we'll end. So Psalm 27, (coughs) verses 4 and 5. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Let's pray. We do thank you, O Lord, for you are our rock, and you have shown us the way. It isn't hard to find, and yet you have said that there are few who find you. And so, Lord, we would pray that you would reveal to us your way, that we would know who Jesus Christ is, that he would be our Savior, and that he would be our Lord, and that we would live a life that um, has an altar, that is built upon you, that is facing toward you, that our eyes are lifted up toward you, and that we will experience what it is to have your face shine upon us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.